Miss Ethel was talking about the the reading. How many people here read a chapter every day? You ought to be doing better than that. Come on, how many how many are doing reading a chapter every day? All right, you people don't have your hands up. Get get going. Don't worry about going back and catching up. Just start tomorrow, and just keep going. And like Ethel was saying, well, now we're getting ready to finish here in the New Testament. We're going to start it again. And we're going to keep on reading. I tell you, I promise you this. We will keep on reading through the New Testament until I get it all. Once I get it all, then we'll stop. <laughs> but, but I constantly keep finding stuff. I mean, I'm, every time we read on through, I'm making some notes. All I got to go back and check this out. What's this thing over here? What's this, uh, what's this doing in this way? So, um, keep going with it. We're in Revelations right now. And we'll be back over in Matthew here pretty soon. But just the one chapter a day, five days a week. You know, stay with it. You read through the whole New Testament in a year. It's not overburdened. And if you miss one day during the week, you have the weekend to make up for it. But it's part of the things that will help you grow. We have, um, just to let our, our children know, we're glad to have them join us here today. We have, of course, the children's outlines that fill those out or fill out any other outline that you have. Some folks make up their own, do their own notes, and that's all fine. We have the pastor's treasure box afterwards. And there's apparently some game that you all play with jelly beans. I don't know what it was called. Bean, bean boozled. All right. Well, apparently we have those available today and we are going to use them. So give some thought as to whether you want to be partakers of this. If you are an adult, you probably don't want to. Just a word of warning, but I'm not going to tell you that you can't. We're going to be over again in the Gospel of Luke here today, looking at a story that we're all very familiar with. If you're up on Facebook this morning, we put this up there for you. What is the most important quality in a saved person? What's the most important quality? Would it be love? Is love the most important quality of a saved person? How about kindness? How about forgiveness? How about generosity? What is the most important quality of a saved person? Well, Jesus answers that question and a few others in our passage here that we're going to be looking at today. Just to review with you, last time we were over in the book of Luke as well in chapter 17. In verse 1, he said, Then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, somebody asked a question about this particular verse, and I guess I didn't um, get into that. I, sh- I, I should have, and uh, apparently didn't. We are not talking about all kinds of sin in this passage. We are not talking about sins against the Word or against what God has said to do. He's very specific in this. It's sins against what? Sins against you. It has nothing to do with sinning against the Word of God. Because how do you, how are you, you all know 
someone could sin against you and be guiltless as far as the Word of God is concerned. But they messed with you. They got you offended. That's what he's talking about here. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you forgive him. Now that word for rebuke means a frank but gentle way of telling a person that they have done something that you perceive to be wrong. Gentle. Make sure you're gentle. We spent some time on that last week. Repent is to have, it's a compound word that means to have a change of mind. They don't just come and, and do the words. They've had a change of mind. And forgive is to dismiss, to release, or to let it go. You need to, you need to let it go. I told you my, my principle I took from, from this is if someone says something, does something to offend me, and I cannot deal with the rebuke that the Word of God says to do, then I let it go. If I do the thing and, hey, that was that bothered me a little bit, or I didn't like that, or whatever it is that you do to rebuke them, and then they say, well, please forgive me for that, I let it go. But if you don't go through the rebuke process, that doesn't give you the right to not let it go. You need to go up there and talk to them. But otherwise, you need to let it go. Don't hang on to it. Now, it's important for us to have had that before in order to get into what goes on here next. This is the familiar parable, probably one of the most loved parables. I saw some notes on this. I was kind of amazed at some of the teachings that have come out of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I heard uh, one person was making some notes about some, some people and what they taught. And one person actually went through and taught on universal health care out of the Good Samaritan. It's amazing what you can get, I guess. But we are not talking about universal health care in the, in the parable here today. He says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, really, when you get down to the brass tacks of this whole thing, everything that we do for God, everything we did in our relationship with God, Everything we do with showing up for church, for serving God, for reading the Bible, does it not have to do with the fact that we're going to be saved? Would you go to church if there was no hope of salvation? Would you stay out of sin if there was no hope of salvation? If all you had is what we have here, and after this is all done, would there be any motivation to serve God, to worship God, to study His Word? Because really, I mean, this is, this is where it comes to. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If there was no hope for ever getting married, would young people date? I mean, isn't that not the ultimate purpose? To have a relationship. Now, of course, today they, they think marriage is, is, is not needed. But they still want to have a long-term relationship with someone, right? That's the purpose of the, of the whole thing. Our purpose in being with God is that we live forever with Him. That's not a wrong purpose. Don't feel like, well, I, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should just... No, this is fine. That's why God has written in His Word, 
I want you to have an assurance of salvation. I want you to know that salvation is yours. I want you to know it. And so this lawyer, he stood up and he's asking this question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I must do so that I can be absolutely positive that I will have eternal life? Isn't that a question people are still asking today? How can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that eternal life is mine? Now, in the passage we looked at last week, the disciples said, increase our faith. And Jesus didn't answer in the way that they asked it. They said, increase our faith. And he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, when you have a mustard seed, you cannot increase the seed. The seed is the seed. You can't make it bigger. You can't make it smaller. What is in the seed is there. What happens is when you put the seed in the ground, then the seed begins to grow. Faith is not something that you can add to and increase. Faith is something you must give it the nutrition, the soil, the different things that it needs so that the seed can grow. That's the only way for it to increase, so to speak, is to grow. Your faith is the same thing. It is alive and it needs water. It needs food. It needs soil. It needs sunlight. It needs all these things in order to grow. Jesus gave us the parable of the sower. He said this, the, the word, the seed is the word. But just because that seed was put in the soil didn't mean that it grew. It had to be a certain kind of soil, good soil. Had to make sure that it was free of the thorns and the things that would try and come in and strangle it out. And Jesus was teaching on offenses. That if you get offended and that will cut off your growth and your faith. And so we, we told you a lot. I don't want to review over all the things, but it's just important to, to know that part. So Jesus answers the question here. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, he is a lawyer. There's some places they're called scribes. And what they would do is they carried around these things they called phylacteries. And in those were little scroll, uh, little scrolls of the word of God for which they would take out and they would continually read. And they would keep that in, keep the word of God in front of them. And so he may have even made a gesture to the phylactery that he was wearing when he said, what is written in the law? Because he's carrying it around. He's a lawyer. Not a lawyer like we think, but one who studies the, the law of the word. So he says, what is your reading of it? His occupation, his, his uh, job as a lawyer was to read the word of God and interpret how you are to live and keep it in line with it. How the word of God and the, the law was supposed to affect you in your life. So he says, how do you read it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with your neighbor as yourself. Now that's a good answer, isn't it? But it said in the beginning here, he, he uh, wanted to test him. Well, if you're going to test him, you don't want to necessarily give too, uh, be uh, too much in agreement with Jesus. You're trying to test him. But you see, Jesus asked him a question. He says, what is your reading of the law? In other words, you're an expert. Let's see some of that expertise. Now, he wants the people to see him as an expert. 
So he can't give a bad answer. If he gives a bad answer, then people are going to say, you don't know anything. Jesus just slapped you upside the head. Said you were wrong. Why am I going to listen to you? (laughs) So he had to give a good answer. So he gave a good answer. In fact, it's along the lines of what Jesus gave us an answer here too. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, Jesus is saying to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Well, that doesn't look like a very good test. Jesus said, well, you answered right. Just go out there and do this and you'll live. Now, he goes on here to say, well, we told you what a lawyer was in the in their day here. But one thing about a lawyer, the, in the, a Jewish lawyer in Jesus' day, is that they were of a class of teachers that declared that no Gentile was a neighbor. That's what they believed and that's what they taught. But he said in verse 29, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So it says in the, in the word, you love your neighbor as yourself. So they obviously had some debates as to who the neighbor was. And one of the things that lawyers came out with was that Gentiles are not neighbors. That rules out a whole lot of people. That means all the Roman soldiers that are in the area, we don't have to love them. We don't have to act neighborly towards them. All the Samaritans, they're a mixed breed of people. Don't have to act that way with them either. All the people in the surrounding areas, they're not Jewish. We don't have to be neighborly to them. Now, that's not something that God taught them. That's something that they interpreted out of all this. That's how they, they figured it up. And so he says, and who is my neighbor? Now, he said this to justify himself. In other words, he doesn't feel like he looked all that good in the beginning here in the first question. So we're going to come back with another one. But the lawyer must, there must have been something genuine about the lawyer because Jesus is entertaining the questions. So maybe he wasn't completely genuine, but there had to be at least something going on. Now, way back, we don't, I haven't taught on this one, again, like the other one, all that often, but we have taught on it a few times. And the last time I, I did this, I, I gave you some stories from Chuck Swindoll. Because if you think that the story of the Good Samaritan can happen today. Here's a couple of stories. There was a young woman who was brutally attacked. This is from his book, Improving Your Serve. She was brutally attacked as she returned to her apartment one night. She screamed and she shrieked so loudly as she fought for her life that her voice went hoarse. For 30 minutes, she was attacked. 30 minutes. During the course of those 30 minutes, 38 people watched from their windows. 38 people watched from their windows. Not even a single one even walked across the room to pick up their phone and call help. Call the police. Not a single one. 38 people for 30 minutes watched this woman be attacked. And not a single one called. They just watched from their window. There was another experience. Uh, a 17-year-old boy, he was riding on the subway just minding his own business, riding home. And some people came up to him 
and stabbed him repeatedly in the stomach. There were 11 other riders on the subway with him. Not a single one helped. Not a single person objected. And even after the assailants had gotten off on the next stop and fled, not a single one went over to help the boy as he was bleeding on the floor. Again, there's another story from Chuck Swindell's book. A little less dramatic. There was an ordeal of a lady in New York City while shopping on Fifth Avenue in busy Manhattan. This lady tripped and broke her leg. She was dazed. She was anguished and in shock. She cried out for help. She didn't cry out for help for two minutes. She didn't cry out for help for 20 minutes. But for 40 minutes, as shoppers and business executives, students and merchants walked around her and stepped over her, completely ignoring her cries. After literally hundreds of people passed by, a cab driver finally pulled up, lifted her up, put him in his, in his cab, put her in his cab, and took her to the hospital. Forty minutes on a busy Manhattan street. That's just three stories. You could probably go on for a long time. When Jesus pulls this story out, it's not like it can't happen. It's certainly not like it can't happen today. I rephrase the lawyer's question in your outline for you. What am I responsible? Who am I responsible to act in a loving way toward in order to maintain my salvation status? Now, how many of you think that might be an interesting question? How many of you have some people in your life that you would kind of hope you do not have to act in a loving way towards in order to be saved? Come on, how many of you got some people in your life? Not a single person. I guess we can just pack up and go home. There's really no reason to go over this. <laughs> Didn't even say inside hand. Didn't even say inside hand. Well, with that, Jesus gets into the parable. Now, before we get into the parable, I thought uh, uh, we could play this game. We have those... Uh, I see you pointing, but I don't see... Ah, behind the pulpit. All right. They do this, uh, this game next door that apparently there are good jelly beans and bad jelly beans. In the same batch. Do you tell them what the flavors are ahead of time? Okay. Uh, do we announce what any of the flavors might be? No? Okay. I know that um, uh, one of these, of the, of the bad flavors, is called dog food? Oh, yes. Miss Vanessa, did you want to try one? Now, what we're going to do with this is, we're, you all know, how many do not know the story of the Good Samaritan? <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll, we'll read the, read the rest of the list later. How many of 
Anybody not familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan? It's one of the most retold parables that's out there. There are going to be a number of people who come down the road. And we're wondering, are these people going to help me? Or are these people not going to help me? So it's kind of like this jelly bean game. And that you have someone coming down. And um, is it a good person coming down? Or is it a bad person coming down? Who wants to be first for the jelly bean game? All right, we got a we got a person right over here. All right, I believe you have to spin the dial, right? What color does that say? It says tootie fruity or stinky socks. Uh, tootie fruity or stinky socks. <laughs> All right, go ahead and take one of them suckers. Which one did you get? You got tootie fruity. Ah. Oh. <laughs> That's good. That was good. All right. Do you want to play? No. I thought she was going to play. Who's coming? Oh, we got one. Come on up. I got another one up here. Go ahead and spin. What do we got? Uh, juicy pear or booger? Booger. All right. There it goes. What do we got? <laughs> okay, that was not a good one in case you didn't get that. We should probably turn this around and have it face the other way. <laughs> you, you just barely made that, didn't you? All right, who was our, who was our person back here? All right, come on. All right, take a spin. Uh, toasted marshmallow or stink bug? Stink bud. They're not bad, actually. I don't know what the problem was with that. Okay. I, actually, I don't know if that's it. The stink bugs, you just got to make sure you don't chew them too much. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm... Marshmallow. All right, marshmallow. <laughs> now, for some people, that would have been the bad one. <laughs> All right, who else? You going to do one, too? All right, come on. We're still leaving it open if anybody else wants to... Once I know, Miss Phyllis looks like she wants to spin the dial back there. Uh, 2D fruity or stink bug? All right. Yeah. Or, um, stinky socks. Stinky socks. All right. Well, there's one less tutti fruity in there than there was before. That's not. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was stinky socks. All right. Anybody on this side? We've been playing it all on this side. Anybody over here? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to pick on anybody in particular. We might need that trash can over here. Yeah. Are they really that bad? You just get the, which one did you get? Toothpaste or berry blue? Berry blue. I don't see that either one of those is bad. I got toothpaste. And berry blue, what's, I mean, is that bad? So you got one that had two good ones on it. Do some people not like toothpaste? You put it in your mouth every single day. See what, that's a problem. You want to play? You sure? This is your chance. Wait, we need a trash can over here now. Go ahead and spin it real good. Birthday cake or dirty 
Oh. Birthday cake or dirty dishwater? All right, it's the it's the white one. That was not birthday cake. Because <laughs> she likes birthday cake. All right, but you get the idea. People are going to be coming down the road, and we don't know. Are they birthday cake or dirty dishwater? And we don't know. So um, that's where we're going to find out in the story here. So Jesus tells this story. Let's read it. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived in the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighborly to him who fell among thieves? Let's take a look at this before we we finish off that. It says, "A, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The two cities. Now, Jesus could have picked any cities. He picked these ones. In the city of Jericho, there were priests and Levites, and that's why they're going along this 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 road, or in the city of Jerusalem. They uh, they had priests and they had Levites in there. And Jericho, how many of y'all remember that was a city that they had, uh, the walls fell down when Joshua came in, and God said, don't build this again. If you build this again, you're going to lay the foundation with the death of this one and finish the gates with the death of this one. And that's what exactly happened. Somebody decided to rebuild it. And they lost two of their children in, in doing so. But they still built it and the, the city was around. And right now it has been basically become a suburb of Jerusalem in which the priests and the Levites, when they're not on duty, head out there. And so that's why these, these folks are coming on the road. It's not uncommon to see the Levites and the priest going up and down this road. But you have the city of the temple and you have the city of curse. And you're going back and forth between these. Now this road is known to be a dangerous one. There were a lot of caves, a lot of hideouts along the way so people could hide out in these roads and then they'd just kind of jump out on you. And they would attack them. The first one is, now by chance a certain priest came down the road. Now I meant to talk to you about these guys, the, the priest here. If you wonder, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? Have you ever wondered that? What's the difference? Somebody stop you on the street and say, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? Could you answer them? Well, I know they're not the same, but I'm not exactly sure what they do. Maybe they have different duties, and they do have different duties. A priest is anyone from the tribe of Levi who can trace their lineage all the way back and can know for sure, I am of the tribe of Levi. A Levite is one who cannot trace their roots all the way back, but far enough to prove that they're in the tribe of Levi. And so what happens was the, the Levites, they didn't do the sacrificial duties, the duties of the priest. They would do a lot of the uh, music, worship duties. 
they did a lot of the things outside of the of the temple. Uh, areas uh, where the more the common people were allowed to go. And they would carry on some of those duties and and there, but they they didn't do the actual priesthood duties if they were were a Levite. So he says here now. By chance, a certain priest came down the road. That means he has done his duties as priest in the temple and was uh, heading on back to get some R&R or you know, get away from the, the job for a little while. And when he saw him, it says he passed by on the other side. Now, these roads aren't all that big. So you pass by on the other side, you aren't that far. It's not like I can't see you. You're over there on the other side of the road. You can, but he just decided that this was a, a way to go and not have to offer, offer help. He said, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. And a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So the other guys, they see him far off and they head over to the other side of the, of the road. So that they're, they're not going to be anywhere near them. Not, not that near. They figure that's, that's good enough. They both have the same idea. How many of you have ever been in the mall or walking on down the road and someone is coming that you do not want to talk to? How many have gone to the other side? <laughs> Ducked into a store, did something like that. I, if I don't see them, But a certain Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan is a mixed, mixed race person. They have some Jewish blood in them. They have some Gentile blood in them. But they're the most despised because they see them as Jews who did not keep their, uh, their, their blood straight because they, they didn't just go out there and marry Jews. Now, how this happened was that in the, when the northern tribes were taken over by Assyria, that they took some of them and put them in other parts of the world and took a people from other parts of the world and put them there. So the Jewish people that, that remained in the um, uh, Israel began to intermarry with those people. And so they produced a mixed race. And the, the Jewish people of the south, the, uh, those of Judah, they did not allow that to, to go, go on. And so they um, despised them. That's why they looked down upon them. So Jesus takes the most despised person to the Jews and uses that as the hero. Now remember, this is a story he made up. It's a parable. He could use anybody he wanted to. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him, didn't go on the other side of the road, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now how many say this is a good jelly bean? The other two are bad jelly beans. This is the good jelly bean. I don't know who's coming down the road. Are they good or are they bad? He may be he's half dead. He's not all the way dead. He says he went to him and bandaged his wounds. I don't know what he had to bandage his wounds, but whatever he had, he used on, on it. He said he poured in oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal. So he was, he was riding on the animal. Now he's going to walk. And this guy's going to ride on the animal probably a donkey. <clears throat> he brought him to an inn. Now, we don't go over this all, all that often. I don't remember last time I went over this. But in the Greek, there are several words for inn. 
If you go over to Luke chapter 2 and there was no room for them in the inn, it is not the same word as you see here. It is a different word. You see, the inn that Jesus, that, that his, his parents went to find, it was not an inn like you think of, like the Holiday Inn. Where you go to the front desk and you, you sign in for a room and there are certain services that they have. And when you go in, how many have ever gone to a Holiday Inn or a Best Western or one of those places? Motel 6. And if you, if they give you the key and you go and you open the key, what are you expecting to see inside the room? A bed, maybe a desk, lamp, a shower. There's certain things you expect to see in the room, right? The inn that Jesus' parents went to look for was a word that is used that only means an empty room. You bring all the furnishings. You bring whatever you want. If you didn't bring it, it's not in the room. They just gave you a room. There's no hotel services. That's it. But this word is not that same word. This word, when you open up this place, this place is furnished. This place has a, has a host and they offer guest services. It's a different word that's used. The difference here is this, is that this particular word talks about something that comes out of the Greek culture. A place of hospitality. That was not what they had in the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture had more of the ends that Jesus was used to, or the Jesus parents came to. But the Greek culture had these ones. And so what you're seeing is more of the Greek culture moving in in the land of Israel. Now, I'm not saying that this particular hotel is bad to have. It's just one of those things that they didn't pick up right away, but eventually began to move its way in. So when Jesus picks one, he, he pulls out the word for, for the type of a hotel that you would check in and you would have some guest services. So when it says he, he went to the inn, you could say, you know, he went to the Motel 6 or the Red Roof Inn or something like that. Give you a, a, a picture of what's there. But he treated his wounds, poured in oil and wine, set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, now this guy was on a journey. We don't know where he was on a journey to, how long the journey was. But he was prepared for a journey. He wasn't just making a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he had some stuff with him for the journey. He used some of that stuff to benefit this man. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he, would, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, if he was trying to help himself out, I don't think he did so good because he answered right. And Jesus said, yeah, that's it. You got it. Do that. Good job. Well, you see, the Levite and the priest apparently see that when they're in the Jerusalem, when they're in the temple, this is the time that I serve God. But once I leave, I, don't, I stop serving God. But this certain man, we don't even know whether he's, you know, is he a Jew? Is he a Gentile? Is he a Samaritan? We don't know. Apparently, it didn't matter. 
If it did, he would have identified it because he identified all the others. So he said, He who showed mercy to on him. So Jesus says, Go and do likewise. Now, who is the villain in this story? How many of you would say the priest is the villain of the story? How many of you would say the Levite is the villain of the story? If you said the priest or if you said the Levite, you would be wrong. The villain of the story is completely glossed over. Because you don't even have this story if you don't have thieves. The villain of the story is thieves. Now we do this exact same thing today. When we look at a problem, the media is real good at this. They gloss over the villain. How many of you know when we had all this stuff going on about the border? We glossed over the villain. And what we did was we demonized the one who was trying to fix it. We've done this with economy. We often, times in the media, if you have a bad economy, they don't go back to what was the villain. They talk about what's going on now. They make the villain who they want him to be. That's why you ought to become more educated about what's going on. Because otherwise, you are at the mercy of the liberal media telling you who the villains are and who the good guys are. Don't let that happen. That's, um, that's not something you need to, to be doing. Your spirit down on the inside can tell you those things. Anyway, the villain of the story is the thieves, but there's very little time spent on them. This guy has no problems at all if there's just a priest and a Levite in the story. Because they're not going to go over and beat him up. They just weren't going to help him. The villain of the story is the thieves. Now, who do you think the villain of the story represents? Because it's a parable. Parables represent things. Well, folks, who is it that beats you up, steals all your stuff, and leaves you half dead? Who does that? That's our enemy. Now, it says thieves there. It didn't say thief. The devil doesn't do this by himself. He's got help. Well, on the basis of that, who do you think the Samaritan represents? The one who got beat up by the the enemy and needed help. Who do you think that is? That'd be us. We got beat up, left half dead. All of our stuff was taken. We were left in, in, um, maybe not sickness and disease, but we, we were hurting. And the man who came by and helped. Who do you think that is? See, when he gave this parable, he's saying, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus gave him the whole lowdown on how we're saved. You see, the devil came, beat you up, took all your stuff, left you for dead. The sacrifices came and they couldn't help you. The law came and it couldn't help you. <laughs> but then someone else came who was on a journey. He came and bandaged you up. 
He poured on the oil and the wine. What does the oil and the wine represent in the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. Poured on the Holy Spirit. He came in and put him in a place where he would be taken care of. Then an innkeeper would watch over him. Another role of the Holy Spirit. That we're being watched over. And whatever it Whatever we need, the traveler gave to the innkeeper. Whatever he needs, take care of it. And if he goes over this, when I come back, I'll take care of it. Why in the world do you have to put that in there for this story? Because he's letting you know. The Holy Spirit has everything that you need provided by the Son and if you go over what he's got, he's bringing more with him. <laughs> Apparently, he's not too concerned about you going over. He didn't go over to him and said, now look, guy, I was here to help you out. No room service. <laughs> he didn't say that. He gave him any instructions at all. Whatever he needs, take care of it. Now, he gave him two denarii. Why do you think he makes it a point to say there's two denarii given? Why doesn't he just say he gave him some money? Gave him two denarii. Well, what is, what is the equivalent in Jesus' day? What is two denarii equivalent to? Two days wage. Two days wage. So he expected to be gone how long? Two days. And if you do some of the conversions that, that Jesus sometimes does with a day being a thousand years, you could possibly go 2,000 years from the time that Jesus was taken up. Which would be what? Now don't go adding it all up and trying to... <laughs> well, this is the year he's coming. I don't know. He said two days. Don't know that that's for sure what's in there. But we are sure coming up to the end of a, what could be a second day there. Just a possibility. It's just odd that he throws in two denarii. Why did we need to know that? That's not even anywhere close to the question that he's asking. So, Jesus gives him this parable. That Jesus is the one who's coming. He's taking care of this. He's the one who showed mercy on the man who was beat up by the thieves. He didn't, he didn't um, know the man apparently beforehand. Had no relationship to him. But he still was going to be merciful as the word, the word of God uses. He was merciful to him. I put this in your outline. Our neighbor is not whom we would like it to be. But whom God has declared it to be. Now here's some questions that people ask when we say, how much should I do for that person that I see who's in need? How much should I do? So here's, here's some questions. First off, there's what I must do. How many have ever had a job and you knew what you had to do? Have you ever worked with people who only did what they had to do? 
Yep, that's the minimum. That's the bare minimum. Well, that's not my job. I don't have to go out there and do that. That's the minimum. Next step up is what I should do. Well, I, I have to do this, but I should do this. Well, that's, uh, that's stepping it up. That's going an extra, extra little bit. Then there is what is desired that I do. This is what the, the boss would like me to, to get done. That's an even higher level. Then there is what is God's will to do. What is God's will to do in this particular situation? I've got to determine what's God's will. Now, just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's your job to do it. This may or may not be what I'm to do. It can be a distraction for me. Remember the disciples in the book of Acts? We shouldn't be leaving the word of God to wait tables. Let's find some people to take care of this because it's the will of God for this to be done, but it's not the will of God for us to do it. So they determined this was the will of God, but someone else should be out there to do it and they got other people to do do so. You see, moving in this area, sometimes there's the will of God to do something. There's nobody else to do it. For a while, they did it. But then they said, hey, we're being pulled out. We need to find some other people to do it. Moving in this area can be okay. But in the case of Saul, Saul moved into an area that he was not called to. He knew it was the will of God for the sacrifice to be made. But it was not the will of God for him to do it. We have to be careful of that. Here's the last one. What is God's purpose for me to do? What does, what does God intend for you to do? What is his purpose for you to do? That is what my faithfulness should focus on. If I'm going to be found faithful, I need to find out what is God's purpose for me and what do I need to focus on doing. Not what I want to do. Not what I like to do. What does God put his purpose on me to do? God is merciful to us and it is an aspect of his faithfulness to us. This whole story here started out, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The focus of that answer is the love of God. Walk in love. And if, if you were to, if he would have stopped at that, if all he asked was the first question, our answer as to how can I know if I'm saved is walk in love. Right? Now, how many would have, would have been content with that answer? Nobody wants to raise their hand anymore. <laughs> if someone were to come up to you yesterday, before you got into church here today, and they said, if you walk in love, are you saved? How many of you would answer yes? And this lawyer came to Jesus and said, if I walk in love towards God and I walk in love towards my neighbor. And Jesus said, go and do it. But then he said, and who is my neighbor? You see, folks, sometimes we have an understanding on a topic and God's content to let us stay there until I ask a question. Until I pursue more understanding. Until I pursue more knowledge. And what Jesus ends up with after this parable is done 
is that you want assurance of salvation? Apparently, walking in love is not the ultimate answer. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? How can that not be the right answer? He does this entire parable. Do we know if the certain man who is on a journey loves the man who is beaten up? Do we know that? Does Jesus mention anything about his love towards him? Acting in a loving way. He does not, does he? It's never mentioned. If love was the answer, why doesn't he mention it? What does he mention? One word. Let's read it again. I want you to see it in the word. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said to him, He who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and love your neighbor. He didn't say that. What did he say? Go and do likewise. You see, folks, if you want to know that you are saved, Jesus is saying this. I'm not telling you walk in love to people. I'm telling you walk in mercy. You see, you cannot operate in mercy without some love. Remember James last week? Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You can tell me you love people all the time. You can tell me how much you love God. You can tell me how much you love people. But here's the show me factor. Because you cannot show mercy without love being there. What Jesus is saying is this. You can say you love people. But you can't show mercy without love. He says, go and do likewise. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to go. (coughs) Be merciful. You see, the enemy is not merciful. He's a thief and an accuser. The enemy is not merciful, folks. He is a thief and he is an accuser. Remember last week we were talking about offense? I wrote this down for you. It's not in your outline. You can write it down on your own if you want to. The more we walk in mercy, the less offense we will take up. The more you walk in mercy, the less offense can get hold of you. You see, the only reason that offense can get hold of you is because you have no mercy. If you walk in mercy, you won't walk in offense. If you don't walk in offense, your faith grows. And forgiveness isn't a problem. And when your faith grows and you come upon a person who's in need, you're overwhelmed with compassion and mercy for that person. Because offense, it has no, it it can't get a hold of you. Because you operate in mercy. Whenever I take offense, 
You think about this in your own life. Whenever you have taken offense at someone in your life, have you not passed judgment on what they did? On what they thought? On something about that? But you haven't you passed judgment in some way? And judgment is not mercy. You remember the story of the, the servant who did not forgive the one who had owed him 20 bucks? When he had just been forgiven millions of dollars. And because he did not show mercy, the mercy that was shown him was pulled back. If you want to know for sure that you are saved, extend mercy to your neighbor. If you do that, you will never doubt that you're saved. You see, because you won't be able to have that mercy without the real love of God working on the inside. And you have that real love of God. You're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know whether you have the real love of God or not, it's real simple. It's demonstrated in your mercy. If you've got a fake, if you've got something else, it will come out in the fact that you don't extend mercy, you extend judgment. And your words become words that mimic the enemy more than the Son of God. How many times have we gone to other people and instead of doing what we saw last week where you someone if sins against you, you go to them and talk to them about it. And then after that, you let it go. We don't let it go. I go on and I pass that judgment on to someone else. And I pass that judgment on to someone else. And then I pass that judgment on to someone else. And I'm continually passing on judgment. I'm not passing on mercy. The Word of God says this. You may remember it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Because if you walk in the love of God, then the mercy of God comes out. And you're no longer trying to show everyone what someone else has done that is wrong. You are more about covering sins of others than exposing them. Because that's how our Father operates. And that's how His Son operates. He's not out to try and embarrass you in front of everyone for the sins that you've done. He's out to get you past it. And he extends mercy. If you want the answer to the question, how can I know if I'm saved? The answer is simple. Do you operate in mercy? Or do you operate in judgment? If you ever wonder, wow, I wonder if I'm operating in mercy the right way? Here's a real quick test. How much offense can you take? How much offense have you picked up along the way? Because offense is not conducive with the mercy of God. You see, if you operate in the mercy of God, you will do what we saw in chapter 17. And as soon as that happens, you go and talk to them and you let it go. Or if you don't talk to them, you let it go. Because mercy, operating in the mercy of God, 
is a super high priority to you. Be merciful. Because if I sow mercy, what do I reap? Mercy. How many of y'all know? I need mercy. <laughs> I need mercy. If I sow mercy, I receive mercy. So I ask you this. Whose example will you follow? Will you follow the example of the man who came upon the road to find someone he didn't know and no relationship with but showed mercy to him? Will you follow the example of the thieves who certainly showed no mercy and pounced upon one beat him up, left him half dead and took all his stuff. If I keep shouting out accusations, I'm going to sound more like the thief than the son. I don't know about you folks, my goal is to sound like the son. I don't want to be the accuser. I want to be the one who extends mercy. Because in that, that's our that's our knowledge. I am saved. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer? Walk in mercy. How much mercy should I walk in? According to Jesus, he says that the same brother sins against you seven times in the same day and seven times asks for mercy. How many times should you extend it? Seven times. We talked about that example last time. We, we said most of us probably have never seen this happen more than two or three times unless we're dealing with three-year-olds. <clears throat> most of us, we never saw this happen more than once or twice in a day. Twice at the highest. You operate in this kind of mercy, folks. You will never wonder, am I saved? You will always know. Because not only do you say the love of God is in me, but everything about you demonstrates it. Would y'all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for your mercy that you have poured out on us. You gave us the example. You walked in mercy toward us first. And then we are to go walk in mercy. You gave us examples of a priest and a Levite who though they were extended mercy did not extend it to others. We never hear about the one that you helped on the road whether he extended mercy to others or not. But Father, we want to be the fulfillment of what you wanted to extend mercy. every head bowed every eye closed the word of God operates as a whole it doesn't operate in pieces it operates as a whole if you are suffering from sickness and disease that just does not seem to want to shake you check your mercy if offense something that you keep carrying around with you. Check your mercy. 
Walking in forgiveness is a challenge. Check your mercy. There are a lot of problems we have in our life that are simply because we don't operate in the mercy of God. I say I have the love of God. I say I forgive. I say I won't walk in offense. But when I'm given the opportunity to extend mercy, my mouth speaks judgment. When I do that, not only do offenses come and attach themselves to me, but I give it an opportunity for sickness and disease to attach itself to me. I'm given an opportunity for doubt to work its way in my life. And I can't seem to get rid of it. So many of the negative things that are in the Word of God will find their way in our life if I refuse to extend mercy. Now, folks, we don't have to grow in mercy. I just need to extend it. That's it. I just need to offer it. Father God, I'm going to walk in mercy on this one. You've walked in mercy to me. Every time I get an opportunity to speak judgment, to expose someone's failures and shortcomings, walk in mercy. Those things that have been plaguing your life for so long, you will find one by one they go away. Because I've walked in mercy. Every head bowed. If you're here today and you say, I know there's some things that are hanging on my life and it's because, it's because of mercy. I've had a mercy problem. I'm not saying I'm condemning everybody, but I know there's more mercy I need to walk in. And I'm making this commitment here this day that God's mercy is what I walk in. This week, I'm going to be given a choice to walk in mercy or walk in condemnation. Judgment. But I'm not going to choose it. I'm going to choose mercy. I'm not going to speak evil about others. I'm not going to pass on juicy tidbits. I'm going to walk in mercy. You can say that here today. I'm going to be praying for you this week. Raise your hand. Father God, you see the hands that are up and I thank you for them. And as I realize how much mercy needs to be a more of a part of my life, I thank you for the help that you give us. And that when we're facing that spot again, you'll light it up. This is the way of mercy. This is the other way. Choose the way of mercy. Father, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Victor. Oh, communion. I was just thinking about it five minutes ago. And then went right out of my head. Come on, ushers. What a great act of mercy we have here on Communion Sunday.
Talk about mercy. Jesus himself going to the cross, being beaten, being nailed to the cross by the very people he is dying for. Is that mercy? He could have been saying all sorts of evil things against them. He could have pronounced what his father was going to be doing to him. He could have called angels to come and to wipe them out. But he operated in mercy. As we receive the communion elements, think of the example that Jesus was for us. He operated in mercy first. It's for us to follow. We talked about the greatness of the faithfulness of God. It is so demonstrated in the fact that constantly He is more merciful to us than we deserve. There's more mercy than there is sin. That even though sin abounds, grace abounds even more. We serve a merciful God. We serve a God who loves you. He didn't just say he loved you. He came down and showed it by the mercy he extended to us. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for another. There is no greater testament of the love of God that you walk in than the mercy you walk in. Walk in great mercy. The night that Jesus was betrayed before supper, he took the bread and he broke it and he handed it out to his disciples. He said, this represents the new covenant. My body, which is broken for you. Do this often and remember me when you do it. Let's eat together. At the end of supper, he took the cup and he said, this this represents the blood of the new covenant. The blood that is shed for you. No more daily sacrifices, yearly sacrifices at the temple. One sacrifice, his blood was sprinkled on the holy altar in heaven. And all we have to do is receive that from him. As we have been freely forgiven, let us also be those who freely forgive. Let's drink together. Father, I thank you. Every time we come together for communion, we can remember the great mercy of our God. So easy would have been just to wipe us out and start over. But you were merciful. 
You didn't take the easy way. You took the hard way because of your love for us. There is no greater testimony of our love than the mercy we walk in. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Victor. Hallelujah. We are always happy to have us all gathered together in church to worship, to share in fellowship, to rejoice together, uh, both us that are here and those that are joining us by way of the um, internet. We are always glad to um, come together in love and um, have this time together. And we really appreciate um, the effort you put in every Sunday to be here um, in church. We want to thank God for the word today. It came so powerfully, reminding us about the mercy of God. Uh, this is one quality that we are actually not finding again in our world. Um, everything is becoming so tough in our workplaces. Everybody is so hard. Faces are so hard. You know, you can't even see somebody smiling out of a good conscience. But Jesus expects us to still live out this life of mercy. Um, show mercy to those that are weak. Show mercy to those that are not strong enough. And we really thank God for bringing the word so powerfully through pastor this morning. Hallelujah. And we have some wonderful praise report today. Um, we will always appreciate um, you sharing with us what God is doing in your life every day. So Bodare is saying, I want to thank God for the recovery of my father. Amen. He's healing, um, he is healing his fractured hip bone and it will be, um, stronger than before. He needs another week of recovery in the nursing home and then at home. I praise God that he is still with us here. Hallelujah. Say thank you to the church for the prayers and uh, well wishes. Your support has been very important. Hallelujah. And you know, God says that, you know, scripture says that he will, he that has begun this good work, he will be faithful to do what completed in us. So 
thank God for that testimony and we thank God for what he's doing in Ray's father's uh, body. Um, we have another one here from Ray. Uh, he said, uh, it has been a time of patient waiting, not all the time with faith. He said, however, a financial challenge has been met. Hallelujah. He said, um, we were able to buy Angela a new vehicle. Um, he, he put in bracket use, but I think it's a new vehicle <laughs> with cash and, um, we write, uh, and write a check to pay off over, uh, mortgage early. Pay over mortgage early. Hallelujah. I said, this has come, um, about due to a smart decision I made early in my life. And this decision were inspired by the word of God long before I knew him. I said, I praised and thank him for being on my side before I was on his side. Hallelujah. We thank God for this testimony. Hallelujah. God will always supply our needs according to his riches in glory. And one from Sister Ethel said that he is truly the God of my days. I kept my eyes and my uh, and mine on God during one of the most frustrating days I have had in a very long time. I continued to pray on Thursday that he was the prince of my peace and I needed to be still and know he is God. While it did not go as I planned, that did not change that he, that he, um, that he alone is God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. You know, so, um, yeah, God will always be our God, even in, in those difficult moments. You know, the joy of this testimony is that, um, our sister stood strong in faith, um, even when it didn't go the way she thought because God is still God. Hallelujah. And you know, I know one thing with God, he, he got this. He will still turn it around for our good. That is the God we serve. Praise the Lord. Um, this week we, there are a couple of other things you can read up from the, um, the news bulletin and, um, uh, uh, we always appreciate your pray, your prayer, praise report and your prayer request. Uh, we have some copies of that there and we'll always want to share and get to know what the Lord is doing with you and also pray with you. Um, thank God for all he has done. As we go, let's go in God's strength and greet one another in fellowship and God bless you. Amen.